so far away doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore it would be so fine to see your face at my door doesn't help to know you're just time away yes birds of you me and Jake are still separated. For those that were listening last week, and there are a few of you left, hugs were exchanged, goodbyes were said, and I was treated to the Yami Yuri Giants. I now sit in this transition, trying to find my place in this world and trying to find a partner to see me through this journey, which is being a Baltimore Orioles fan. Hmm. Who could I possibly get out there to potentially lead me back into the light. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is June 25th, 2018, and this is episode 243. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm JT Guads. Wait, what? Who are you again? You may know me from Twitter at, at Guadzilla, although I have to admit it's been a, a few... Uh, it's been a reduction in my tweets per game, considering how many games I've actually been watching. Um, considering that Jake is lost somewhere in the Arctic last time we heard, I'm stepping in as the anger translator in the style of K&P to give the fans what they want. Pure, unbridled rage. All right. So, JT, uh, fan of the show, um, fan of, you know, the best uh, Baltimore Orioles podcast out there, the Baltimoreans. And, uh, you know, I've got to ask you a few questions in terms of making sure that you're going to fit into the characteristic of a co-host on Bird's Eye View. So, JT, um, number one, uh, what is your experience in terms of uh, Eastern European history and or politics? Well, I don't want to spoil anything for the back half of the podcast, but my knowledge of the Balkans may feature heavily as we go around the bases. Uh, and one more question. Uh, musical theater. uh are we getting any song stylings from you going forward for this podcast? I've got a seven piece band showing up at about, I don't know, 30 minutes after we start recording here. All right. So, so they we should need, be after the big dance number. So we need to knock this out in about 20 minutes. Gotcha. On this week's show, we'll go around the bases in Birdland. After that, we'll be finding out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Uh, JT, what are you drinking this week for your drink of the week? I am drinking a Goose Green Line Pale Ale from Goose Island Beer Company, a uh, Chicago, Illinois brewery, 5.4 APV. It's available year-round with a honey color, bright American hop aroma, citrus flavor, and light crisp body. I was not paid for that ad read. Here's a question for you about Goose Island. Um, You know, ever since they got bought out by InBev, I come across in the store and I have a tough time buying it. Tell me why I should still continue to buy a brand like Goose Island, um, even though it's been bought out by InBev. Well, no matter who owns the company, the people making it are still from Illinois. And I think being from one of the greatest cities in the world with one of the greatest beer cultures in the world should be a good enough endorsement for anybody. Buy Goose Island. I'm still not being paid for these ad reads. <laughs> All right. I am drinking uh, Spoked from uh, the Brewer's Art. It is a dry hopped pale ale. Uh, good um, IBU content on this one. Uh, highly recommend. Only 5%. If you want something to pretty much dry your mouth out, highly recommend it. Uh, and uh, we'll go from there. Folks, if you want to know what we are drinking on a weekly basis, you can go ahead and follow us on Untapped. I'm at MAGN8606. Jake is at JakeE4025. JT, do you follow Untapped? And if so, do you have a username? I don't drink nearly enough to be having a username, but if the Orioles season continues to be this bad, that will change. All right. And with that, you know, it, it's, you know, groundbreaking news going out there because it's time for the hashtag, the Manny Machado Watch.
That's right, folks. It's the Manny Machado Watch. And uh, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, interesting rumors out there in uh, the blogospheres and the Twitterverse. And I think the big one this week has to come back to, to John Morosi and MLB uh, insiders naming the Diamondbacks as the latest team in the Manny Machado sweepstakes. Yes, the Manny Machado sweepstakes has taken off, and uh, lately the Diamondbacks have shown interest, and apparently the Orioles and Diamondbacks have been in contact at least once since opening day and several times during the offseason. So, JT, talk to me a little bit about what your feelings are with the uh, Manny Machado watch entering week, oh, probably week 13 at this point. Um, What do you think? Do you think we're actually going to get any traction, or is this something that's going to continue to draw on as the weeks and weeks come forward to July 31st. Well, for starters, if this is week 13 of the Manny Machado watch, I wish we would have traded him in week negative 65 of the Manny Machado watch. Um, I understand that we had a nice late run last year. We had a nice late run last year that made us look like we might be in contention before we fell off in September. But I, I hope that I speak for a lot of Orioles fans when I say that it might have been good to trade him last trade deadline. I think you get a lot more for a year and a half of Manny Machado than you do for a month of Manny Machado. And if that's the difference between getting, I don't know, maybe say eight years of team controlled pitching versus five years of team controlled pitching, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. And and look, I live in Chicago, so I don't get to go to as many games as the fans do. And I haven't been watching as many as I would otherwise, because why suffer? But if you look back at it, would we have appreciated that will we have appreciated the fact that we could see Manny Machado play an extra, you know, 75 odd games in an Orioles uniform as opposed to, say, trading for a prospect who he could have for three or four years who might pan out? I, I think you would rather have the prospect. Let, I sent a link to my dad the other day saying, hey, look, we finally have some movement on the, on the Manny Machado news. And he said, I'll still be sad to see him go. And I will, too. But if we had the option would we really have wanted these 50-odd games seeing Manny Machado play for one of the worst teams in baseball? Let me answer that question for you. The answer to this question is obviously yes. And I give you this reasoning. I would yearn and crave for another game just to see Nick Marcakis once again in an Orioles uniform. I mean, this past weekend, seeing Nick Marcakis out there in an Atlanta Braves uniform made me yearn for dark ages Orioles baseball where I could go and look out there and say, oh, there's Brian Roberts and there's Melvin Mora. There's Nick Marcakis, and just have that reminiscent feeling. For even though the team is really bad, at least there's some familiarity faces out there. I don't want to look out there and be like, who's that guy? Manny Machado is a constant for me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do, you know, like having to see him out there. From a business standpoint, you're absolutely right. You know, the Orioles should be looking at every opportunity. But I, I do have some kind of, you know, a little bit of an issue with this aspect of this revisionist, you know, history of. You know, the Orioles, you know, were trying to make contention last year. And sure, it was a situation where it ultimately didn't work out for them. But by the same notion, the Orioles should have gone out and traded Jonathan Scope when he was, you know, at his pinnacle last year. And uh, after he had this, you know, massive falling out aspect this season, you, you know, a revisionist issue could have been, well, we should have traded him at, you know, certain portion of the season and or during the offseason uh, when his value is as high as possible. I, I think it's tough to make these decisions. I think it's just one of those situations where you eventually want them to make the decision, um, and um, it, it, it's frustrating that it continues to dwell on and dwell on, and it seems like more value is lost every single day that it, it progresses. Maybe I'm alone in this, but and I, I'd love if everyone could uh, send some tweets to Bird's Eye View and I could see the responses. If I had my way, if I was going to turn in to watch the Orioles every night, at this point I'd rather see Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, pick your favorite prospect, playing every night. Maybe get DJ Stewart out there every night. I don't care. Just give me something to look forward to and be excited about. Give these guys some experience. Because what other? What are we waiting for otherwise? If we're going to go the rest of the season and be bad, and we know it's going to happen, I would rather have an opportunity to see some kids to be excited about. That would get me tuning in again. But maybe that's just me. No, I mean, I understand you, and I think that's uh, what a lot of people have said. Although that's a kind of a good segue, uh, especially if we're going to be talking prospects in the minors. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's time for a checkup. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heart beat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you 
All right. So the reason I wanted to go right into the medical wing um, after that that recent incursion in terms of the prospects is the name Austin Hayes was brought up. And uh, look, I was super excited about Austin Hayes coming into this season, a top 100 prospect coming into the season and had a breakout season last year for the Orioles. And, uh, you know, it, coming into spring training, Austin Hayes never seemed to, you know, rebound from some of the injuries. And sure enough, Austin Hayes uh, is currently kind of sitting in a walking boot um, and is basically dealing with uh, several injuries. So one of those top 100 prospects out there um, is not available, and um, it, it's really frustrating. I mean, the one thing I would say is, you know, the Orioles are finally starting to get some of their pieces back. They're getting uh, Tim Beckham, Mark Trumbo, Trey Mancini, Zach Britton has now come back, and even Colby Rasmus has come back. Oh, Hooray! How depressing and sad. Um, but, you know, after we get this myriad of individuals that are not that great uh, coming back and, you know, you know, saying, okay, the team is back to where it was supposed to be to begin the season, um, you know, sadness hits. And Dylan Bundy um, is now potentially going to miss his Thursday's scheduled start um, with a DL stint pending due to rolling his ankles while rounding the bases during the Nationals earlier this week. So, JT, I've got to ask the eternal question. Does this call for the universal DH more so now than ever, or is this kind of just a, a bad instance on a team that is already snake-bitten? I've been a big advocate for universal DH for a long time. I'm sorry to NL purists out there, but no one wants to watch batters average, what, 110 during the year. And yes, the double switch is entertaining, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. But I'm here to see some people sock a few dingers. And I also think it would be a good move for the Major League Baseball Players Association if they could get every team to expand their, maybe expand the roster by a player so the NL could add a player as a DH and give, you know, 15 guys more jobs, at least if the NL is the one doing it. But if both leagues added, as you would imagine they would, you can suddenly get 30 other guys a Major League Baseball job. So I think it's a good move for the Players Association, and it's a good move for the teams in terms of entertainment value. Because, again, I'm not out here to see pitchers strike out swinging and, like, occasionally bunt. Bunts yeah. aren't that fun. Hot take. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think we think back to moments like Bartolo Colon going out there and, you know, <laughs> running around the bases and hanging a home run. But in reality, watching that every single day is pretty boring. I mean, it doesn't happen that often. And the moments that something does, you know, magical happen, everyone makes a big deal out of it. But there is a ton of plate appearances and ton of at-bats that just are ugly, ugly baseball to watch. I completely agree with you. You know, I, I want to see the DH out there. I don't understand this argument of, well, you know, if for baseball, they've got to be able to use their glove and they've got to be able to hit. And that's like, well, no, that's not the case at all. Like, there are plenty of first basemen out there that are not very good defensively, and all they do is catch the ball. It's perfectly okay for me to put out a universal DH out there and uh, bring a little excitement, especially for um, a sport that is kind of suffering a little bit of the three-scenario uh, three situation of strike out, walk, or pop out, basically. So uh, we'll see what happens, but I think we're both on the universal DH category. Um, is there anybody else that I'm missing in the medical wing that you think we should cover? Um, noted pinch-hitting podcaster JT Guads is suffering from a broken heart and extended depression, uh, complications from watching a bad baseball team. We'll see if he's on the mend as the trade deadline approaches. Well, this doctor is going to recommend a tall glass of gin to try to make that heart injury go away let's go to 280 characters or less for this week on the twitters uh this first tweet comes from Stephen a frank uh, and these are some deep thoughts um after the orioles won this past week against the nationals three to nothing um bird's eye view again we've been in hiatus you know i've been in japan trying to get back stateside um jake is now in new orleans um and and, and Stephen writes as follows if the Orioles win, but bird's eye view doesn't put a bird on it, does the win actually count? Hashtag Thursday thoughts. So let me answer this question. Yes, it does count. We need to take any opportunity we can to make it count. In fact, if we don't tweet it out, maybe it counts double, basically. So take these wins, savor them, because they're few and far between. JT, why don't you go ahead and take the next one? Our next tweet is from Sam Abate. That's uh, Sam A-B-A-T-E on Twitter. Of course he did. Right, Bird's Eye View Baltimore and the gif of Mr. Colby Jack himself, Colby Rasmus, with a Colby Jack home run. 
in his first at bat back for the Orioles, to which he responded, baseball is weird, and I agree. Of course, we're all expecting Kobe Rasmus to come back, lead the league in home runs, and get us back to 10 games under 500. And that's exactly what I'm sure is going to happen as we go along. This is classic Joey Rickard syndrome, where Joey Joey Rickard Rickard comes up, launches some dingers, and everyone's just like, man, why didn't the Orioles bring up Joey Rickard earlier? And it's just like, small sample size. And it's just like, eh. Yeah, Kobe Rasmus is doing pretty well so far uh, since coming back. I think he's got 128 radio runs created plus. But it's, he's going to be exposed eventually. Now, listen, Kobe Rasmus wasn't as bad as he was to begin this year. He's not as good as he is right now. He's somewhere in that middle ground. But Kobe Rasmus, you know, for a team that is in its current position, I come back to your point, JT. Kobe Rasmus is not someone I want to be seeing out there. He doesn't offer any value to me to watch on the Orioles at this time. All right, this next tweet comes from at simply AJ10. Of course, that's Adam Jones. He tweets as follows. I miss cakes, but I'm going to rob his ass of a hit if I can, just like he do me. True pro. Look, everyone loves something Greek. Adam Jones and Nick Markakis will always share this special bond. And uh, it's nice to see 2110 once again being represented if only for for a short weekend. All right, let's bring us on home, JT. This tweet is from David Piskorik. That is at David Piskorik on Twitter. He tweeted out to several of the people in the Orioles sphere, both the podcasters and reporters, say what you will about the org or their record, but the fan base is solid. They were very well represented in Atlanta and made me feel proud to be an Oriole. Hashtag Orioles in all 30 ballparks. Hashtag Orioles. There's a lovely picture of David and his family in Atlanta and his quest to see the Orioles in all 30 ballparks. And I got to say, the Orioles do travel well. And it's always fun to see some of those fans on the road. Um, I've lived in Chicago for the last seven summers now. And every time the Orioles are here to see the White Sox, or the Orioles are here to play the White Sox or play the Cubs, always well represented, especially with the White Sox having on average about 500 people in the stadium. Um, And it's always fun to hear those stories, see how far people have come from, and uh, make some new friends. There's no easier way to find out who you're going to love or hate immediately on judgment based on the sports apparel they're wearing. So it's great to see, uh, one, David was able to go see a new stadium and add it to his list, and two, see that the Orioles were well represented despite a, uh, well, being less than well represented on the field. You know, it's interesting because, you know, we we think back to, you know, going to see Atlanta. And I feel like the Orioles oftentimes have a tendency to also travel both to Philadelphia and also Washington. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, Orioles fans have this tendency to travel uh, within the NL East. But, you know, besides Tampa, I wouldn't say the Orioles fans have a tendency to travel both to Yankee Stadium, uh, Fenway, or into Toronto as well. You know, I, I wonder if it's just a situation of, you know, cost of tickets um, or if it's just the aspect of the atmosphere isn't as friendly. Um, but I do wonder, you know, does this kind of pay merit to would the Orioles be in a better position to be in the NL East as opposed to the AL East, both for their fan base to travel, but also for play of uh, competition to play as well? Not until we get a DH or not. <laughs> okay. That's a fair point. We've already got enough first baseman DHs until that gets rectified. Actually, if this does happen, let's say, you know, is a situation where MLB comes back to the Orioles and say, look, we want to settle this mass and case dispute. What's it going to take? Would you go along with the aspect of saying, look, we are willing to go into the NL East if the Nationals come into the AL East, but you also have to pay off the Chris Davis contract? JT, would you make that deal? I would make that deal if the alter- if if we could negotiate it so Major League Baseball would personally take Chris Davis, put him on a boat, and then send him in any direction without any uh, radar or tracking support of any kind. Well, that's not very nice. What's, what's Jill going to do about, without Chris? He's going to have to deal for the team. She's going to have to take a sacrifice? I'm sure. I think so. I'm sure she'll be able to find someone else. Just a hunch. All right. Well, like I said, it's been um, it's been a long season. Um, like I said, we are still cast amongst the mist uh, here at Bird's Eye View, and we're we're managing to get through it as as best we can. Let's go ahead around the bases and uh, try to make sense of this weird, wacky season in Birdland. 
All right, so the Orioles put together a, a, a decent week. Um, they played 500 baseball, which it may be the last time we actually see that for the rest of the year. But, uh, you know, coming into first base, um, we, we've talked about this throughout the entire season so far, and the Orioles offense has been um, pedestrian at best, posting, I think, up to a, like a 72-weighted runs created plus throughout the rest of the season. But this week, it looks like they kind of came alive. Um, you know, playing against the Nationals, they put up seven runs in a loss, and they put up three runs in a win, two in a loss, 10 against the Braves in a win, seven against the Braves in a win, and then three on Sunday. You know, overall, just kind of looking at this past week, you know, we had some, you know, monumental breakout uh, performances in terms of offensive performance. Mark Trumbo came back and has been red hot. He's running an eight game uh, hitting streak coming into Monday night's game and is posting four home runs and is posting a impressive 247 weighted grades related plus. But also Trey Mancini has been pretty impressive too, with a 206 weighted runs created plus. Adam Jones, 130. Kobe Rasmus, 128. And Manny Machado with a meager 103. But look, you know, for a team that has pretty much only had contributions from maybe one player above 100 uh, for most of the season, this is a welcome sign. And on a whole, the team posted, I believe it was a 94 weighted runs created plus. Not great, but again, not in the bottom 10 of the league like they have been for, for the week. Uh, JT, uh, big deal. So what? Who cares? Um, or are you kind of starting to buy into the aspect of, hey, maybe the bats are finally starting to come alive? I'm happy we've had the week we've had. Uh, one of my best friends from law school, Matt Clark, is a big Braves fan. And I was very happy to you know, have one opportunity to brag about my team this season. And yes, it was a good week. The Orioles were ninth in runs. The Orioles were, let's see here. I've got ESPN stat page up for me. Um, oh, 23rd in batting average this week. Solid. And our on-base percentage, a lovely... 24th and that big stretch is pulling us out of our monthly totals 217 batting average 28th in the league 291 on base 26th in the league and 71 runs 28th in the league it's been bleak um i hate to be the bearer of bad news and i want everyone out there to have a reason to watch this team which is why i'm advocating for trading everybody tomorrow and just getting whoever we get to come and show up i'm happy we're having a good week right now i really am but i have to imagine I speak for a big contingent of Birdland that says that that one week is not going to make us forget about how bad the bats have been. We need to find a way to get out of some of these uh, three true outcomes approaches to the plate. And, you know, unless Colby Rasmus ends up hitting as many home runs per game as he did when he decided to come back and grace us with his presence, the Joey Rickard special, as it were, we're going to have to find a way to increase our numbers because being 28th in runs in the month of June just isn't cutting it. So it's funny you should mention the three true outcomes that we were talking about earlier on the podcast, because there's a really interesting conversation quotes within the Baltimore Sun this past week in regards to Mark Trumbo and Chris Davis saying that the team needs to change its approach at the plate and maybe not be hitting for the long ball so much. Um, it, it, in, the, in the immortal words of um, Alanis Morissette, isn't that ironic, don't you think? Um, you know, it, Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo are, to a certain regard, what most fans would consider to be uh, the primary point of blame in, in that same category. Um, JT, uh, do you blame Mark Trumbo and Chris Davis for these um, for these issues, or is it more of a situation of the entire team kind of bought in and basically said, um, let's go ahead and I'll just swing for the fences? It's hard to say. Um, I'm, I'm not a very big fan of Chris Davis right now, as I think many of us are. These stories came out earlier in the season about the degree to which Chris Davis was working on his swing during the offseason. Um, you know, Trumbo said it's an injury issue, so it's a little harder to blame him for the whole state of the offense. Um, is it systemic? It's hard to say. Is it, a, is it a hitting coach issue? Is that the difference between, you know, a team that's the basement for all offensive categories? Would that make that big of a difference? Is there a, a losing mentality? I don't really know. Um, I, I think what we're really lacking is is, is any sense of, progress or any sense of, of commitment to a change in approach. Um, I think any kind of gesture from the clubhouse saying we're going to try something would be better than the alternative, which is uh, the definition of insanity. Going to the plate a thousand times and swinging at everything that's even near the plate and expecting different results. Sure. And I mean, I think that's what all fans are looking to saying is if you start failing at something, we want you to change. But this is kind of the 
the adult aged adage of, you know, people would get on Adam Jones, for example, being like, oh, I can't believe he is so aggressive at the plate. You know, he really shouldn't be swinging at those balls. But again, we've talked about this before on the podcast, which is, you know, players are who they are. There's no chance that Chris Davis is all of a sudden going to turn away and say, well, I'm no longer going to strike out 30% of the time. Now I'm going to go out there and I'm going to have a plate discipline like Nick Marcakis of old and only post, you know, 15% K rate and have a 10% walk weight. No, I mean, it is a situation of you came to the dance um, who you brought. Now, if you want to completely change your approach, the best way, as you've pointed out, JT, is you basically go out and you find players that have a completely different approach. But that's certainly not easy to do. I mean, if you're looking for someone that has excellent plate discipline and um, also has the ability to have the long ball, well, then generally they're going to be a top 20 or 30 prospect. You generally don't get five tool players for cheap. Uh, and, and certainly the Orioles, you know, banked on getting these power hitters and paying a certain premium for them. Um, but um, obviously there's ups and downs of that kind of, um, you know, theory and or uh, roster management. Absolutely. And it, 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 I think it, it goes to it's going to start with what we decided to do with the trade deadline and what we decide to do in the offseason, which is why I expect us to so go back, build a time machine, go to 2016, sign Dexter Fowler for real. And then that will lead to a revolution in which we're finding players who are on base guys who can also occasionally hit for power. Um, the first thing to do is start contacting some scientists to get the time machine going. And um, by the time that's done, um, we'll have lost another 60 games or so. So start it now. Start early. You're absolutely right. I mean, this is exactly what the Orioles need to do. They need to get that time machine. They need to go ahead and build it. They need to go and get Dexter Fowler, who's posting an impeccable 59 weighted runs created plus this year, a 278 on base percentage, and a negative 1.F war. He is right up there with the amazing Chris Davis in terms of negative F war for the entire season. But you know right, what? I'm not saying we need to re- I'm not saying we need to reconnect with him now. I'm saying we need to go sign 2016 Dexter Fowler. Okay, gotcha. And that gotcha. would have changed everything. Gotcha. Okay, I understand now. So we just need to make sure that we just signed him for the one year uh, as opposed to a, a multi-year deal. All right. Um, let's go into second base. Um, and I, my question to you is, JT, is, is Buck starting to lose it? So there's this one tweet um, that uh, Rockabaka put out this week. Um, and it was uh, when the Orioles were kind of mired in this, you know, win one, lose one situation. And then the Orioles finally started to turn around. Uh, and Buck quote was quoted as follows. Well, the launch angles. No, that's baseball. That's why you don't play it on computers and it's not purely analytical. That's why people come because things happen that aren't supposed to happen on paper. All right. So I, I think this is an interesting one because this comes back to the whole Pakoda argument and the whole aspect of the analytics are somewhat against us. But you can't tell me to a certain regard that launch angles and exit velocity are kind of a voodoo science and, you know, just based off of computer's aspects. No, this is this is simple physics more so than anything else. And I, I think it's interesting that Buck is kind of scoffing at the idea and was just like, no, it, what's really important, it's, it's, it's heart and hustle and going out there and, you know, having your players all back up, you know, it's not about, you know, the sheer power and or physics of the uh, given environment that you're around. You know, this kind of tweet and this kind of talk reminds me of uh, a conversation I was having with my dad the other day. My dad is, is who gave me my Orioles fandom ever since we were driving out to see his family in Joppa, Maryland, uh, and then going over to see the games. Um, his opinion on Buck's thoughts of the team right now is that maybe Buck just doesn't want to coach young kids. Maybe he wouldn't have the interest in coaching all of our prospects, which might be the reason why Buck's no longer our manager going forward. And I don't necessarily know if I have enough to determine whether or not that's true. But what I do know is when he's talking about things like the purely analytical side of baseball and launch angle and trajectory, um, you get the sense that he's an old school guy and maybe a, a younger social media savvy personable ball club won't be what he's looking to manage i don't know what that says about his future with the team going forward necessarily but i I do have a sense that when it comes time to decide who's leading the team we might be focusing less on who's going to win now and who's going to help us develop our talent Um, maybe that person is someone who believes that launch angles are important sure and i think this is an interesting conversation because it comes back to this this stodginess or the stubbornness that, you know, Buck Showalter was infamous for when he was coming into the Orioles and 
some of us were, you know, greatly concerned. And then Buck kind of completely turned us on our head and said, well, we don't know what we're talking about. But, you know, we, we talk about the aspect of launch angles and our saver metrics and, you know, someone that is more old school, not embracing it. But then we have an individual such as Jim Palmer doing color commentary for Masson, specifically referencing uh, these kind of metrics and in BABIP as well as Waiter Runs Created Plus. And, and you look at Jim Palmer and you look at Showalter and you're just like, well, if Palmer can do it, why doesn't Showalter do it? And I think Showalter does it somewhat, you know, behind the scenes, as it were. Um, but it's interesting to hear him continually tear down this mindset and view, even though it's widely embraced um, by the entire aspect of Major League Baseball at this time. Um, and I just think it's an interesting scenario to kind of continue to play this this card of, well, the numbers are against us, even though the numbers clearly are just reflecting about how bad you actually are right now. All right, so let's go to third base. Uh, Zach Britton, he's come back. Um, you know, he's trying to establish that trade value um, going into July and, you know, seeing if he can get traded to a team, get some prospects back, and as JT has pointed out, you know, bring some talent back into the organization to help them regrow. But, you know, since coming back to the Orioles, uh, Britton hasn't really been up to his normal self. Uh, he's posted only in six games, post played uh, 5.2 innings. Um, he's got a 6.35 ERA, a 4.17 FIP, and a 4.74 XFIP. I think the biggest concern that I have, though, is, you know, looking at his numbers, you know, the strikeout rate is, you know, not terrible at 9.53 Ks per nine. But the one thing that really does concern me is the command. He's up to 7.94 walks per nine inning, where historically he's been in the ballpark of, you know, three-ish, maybe low uh, upper twos. Um, and I think this command aspect where batters are just saying, if you can't get it to the plate, I'm not going to try to put it in play. And even coming back to the command aspect, you know, the ground ball rate has, you know, dropped down from, you know, 70s before down to 6%. But again, the command is the one thing that really strikes me. JT, do you think the Orioles rushed getting Zach Burton back um, and that maybe they should have kept him down longer so he could work on command going forward? It's really hard to say. Um, I, I understand. This is bird's eye view. We make rampant statements over limited sample sizes. Yeah, he sh- no, he should have been pitching on opening day. There you go. His other arm. And he should have been opening just like in Tampa. Absolutely. Um, Hot take. I love that idea. (laughs) Just throwing it out there. Um, I think that we've been relying on the same kind of pitching style for the last, what, 20, 30 years, and it's time to innovate. I'd try it. I'd try a lot of things. I would try anything to get me back into loving watching baseball. If you could tell me that the Orioles were going to try a system where they had nine starters throwing one inning every day, I would be here for it. Anything is better than watching Alex Cobb go out and get shell-shocked. Anything. So here's what I'm thinking is, you know, I, I think there needs to be, you know, some role where a mascot could come to the mound and instead of the mascot actually pitching, he could pull a t-shirt cannon out and actually shoot a baseball from the t-shirt cannon. And uh, I, I think that would be, you know, really remarkable and fun to watch. Uh, agree. But let's get back to the closer situation okay. for a second. Because my question is this. If... You're another team. Is Zach Britton who you want to trade for? Okay, hot take, right? I mean, we all know what he's capable of when he's healthy. But, I mean, is he? Is that is that what you're looking for right now is a, a maybe? If you're going to trade away a prospect, how high a prospect are you going to trade up for a maybe? For a guy who just came back from injury, his uh, success has been suspect. We've rattled off all of the numbers but he also fails the eye test i don't know are you going to go out and trade for a different closer like are you looking for kelvin herrera i don't know what are you looking for i mean i are, I, are you I, I think coming into this you know this situation we talked about during the offseason when he got hurt and we said you know he's probably not going to pull much better than maybe at best a top 100 prospect and i certainly think you know that that dream has somewhat faded away. I, I think we are in clear Chad Bradford ter- territory here where we are in player to be named later territory at best at this point. And, you know, I, I think that if the Orioles can get maybe a utility player um, back in the future, um, I think that's who the Orioles are going to get for our Zach Burton now more so than a prospect. And you know what? Maybe that's not such a bad thing. You know, getting a cheap Ryan Flaherty style player at least is something. 
Um, but certainly looking back, as you pointed to last year, uh, when the Orioles had a chance to trade him to potentially the Astros, uh, that certainly looks like value lost at an opportune time. Uh, value loss seems like the definition of our trade trade uh, history or or lack thereof recently. Yeah, I mean, but I, it's just, I'm just looking at the, value loss is basically just the Baltimore Orioles motto um, for the past <laughs> you know eighteen months. I'm just looking down the list of saves leaders right now, and I'm wondering if you had your option, would you take a guy who's been fairly successful this year versus well an injury risk? Who's a guy who's been successful in the past, but right now it's hard to tell how well he's come back from his injury. And again, well, if those I mean, out there and first of all, laugh at me. First of all, I'm not looking at the safe stat. I mean, let let's let's be perfectly honest here. Like, let's end it right at that and say I'm not looking at the safe stat. If I'm going to be looking at anything, I'm going to be looking at you know I want someone that either has a high strikeout rate or a high ground ball rate for me to come in and basically use them as a relief pitcher. And more than likely, I'm not going out if I'm a playoff team and getting myself a closer. I'm going out there and getting myself someone that can come in and pitch in the seventh or eighth inning and be really, really good. And I don't have to worry about it. Similar to an Andrew Miller, like the Orioles did in 2014. Again, he wasn't coming in as a closer, but he was a shutdown individual that could come in in the seventh or eighth inning and basically get you out of a jam if you needed to do so. Now, you know that and I know that, right? But we've also got guys like, for example, Buck Showalter saying that they believe that launch trajectory is some sort of voodoo magic. True. True. So and we also have Josh I mean, Hader basically leading the league right now in case per nine. So uh, <laughs> who knows anymore with baseball? So I don't know. I mean, do you want to go out and, and get a guy like Shane Green or Brad Hand who at least have shown they can go out in the ninth inning for a mediocre ball club and close out games for you? Like got hot hand who might not command as high a prospect. I don't know. But I'm I'm skeptical now of what we're going to get for Zach Britton, and I regret that we'll never know what we could have gotten if we would have traded him when his value was high and the Orioles were already um, uh, down for the season, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there has been enough rumor and rumblings from that previous Astros trade that um, you know it wasn't as good as what people thought they could get for Zach Britton, but looking at some of the uh, prospects and names that were listed out there, it certainly sounds like um, they made the wrong decision, which, again, is or the Orioles' motto. So, all right, enough with the sadness, enough with the heartache, uh, enough with the depressive baseball talk. Let's come around to home plate. Let's hit the pitch, and let's talk some World Cup, JT. This is what we've been getting to. This is what we wanted to talk about all podcast long. So, JT, every four years, everyone gets together uh, and, and says, okay, Let's get really excited about the World Cup. And then everyone looked and said, oh, wait, the United States isn't playing. So now we've got to figure out what country and do we even care with what we're watching for. So, JT, make me care about what I'm watching right now in the World Cup and who I should be rooting for. Guys, I love soccer. It's the one thing that's giving me joy this summer. The World Cup has been amazing. And I know there are people out there who have always been soccer skeptics. Um, Maybe some of you are soccer curious. You've turned in to see countries you vaguely heard of. You might not know where Morocco is on a map, but you're seeing them play Spain, a team you've heard of before. Uh, You're interested. And a question I get is, you know, why? It's a bunch of guys running around falling over. Well, who cares? This was my favorite story of the World Cup so far. We had Serbia playing Switzerland um, last week. There were two goals scored in the game, one by Jirden Shakiri, one by Granite Jaka, and there will not be a spelling test after Ooh, the podcast. Thank goodness. Now, both of these guys score. Uh, Shakiri scores in the 91st minute, and they do this uh, celebration with their hands. It almost looks like they're doing like a butterfly or a bird thing toward the camera and toward the crowd. And if you didn't know any better, you'd assume it was nothing. Now, the truth is that both of these players have roots in uh, Kosovo and Albania. The eagle they were doing is from the Albanian flag, which is a black eagle on a red background. Now, I'm not going to do a whole in-depth understanding of Yugoslavia, but the short version of this is that Kosovo used to be part of Serbia. It became independent in 2008. Serbia is not happy that it's independent. Serbia has long been oppressing Co- or was long oppressing Kosovo. There's long, there was this in- protracted effort to try to make Kosovo independent. Not a lot of love. There's a lot of love lost between those groups. Grant Jaka was born in Switzerland to Albanian parents. 
His father spent three years in prison for speaking out against the communist government. Uh, Shakiri's parents fled Kosovo during the unrest in the 90s, but he still wears the Kosovo flag on his boots. So when they both scored, they were, uh, in, a, in a sense, showing a way of sticking it to their family's oppressors. At that point, saying Yankees suck doesn't really have the same weight. And that's the stakes for some of these guys. Is they're coming from this family history of these rivalries of this oppression and it happens all over the world you know england germany doesn't exactly have a world war ii element anymore england might play argentina later in a tournament i don't know if anyone's going to be bringing up the falklands war but these rivalries are deep and they're real and they go beyond the laundry that you happen to be wearing um I'm sorry if anyone's offended that I don't think Yankees Red Sox is as big as by the way they bombed us in the 90s. So, I mean, I guess, JT, the question is, you know, you see these kind of, you know, historical rivalries that have lasted for such a long time. And again, it's not even just the aspect of, you know, on the pitch, as it were, but more so the aspect of like even, you know, socioeconomic and or political tensions that have gone on for decades and sometimes centuries. And I guess the question is, is there any chance at all that the kind of emotion and the kind of, you know, greatness that is the World Cup could ever come back and actually be a part of a Major League Baseball aspect? I mean, you watch these games and you watch the cheering in the stands. You look at the heartbreak on the field when, you know, a, a team is eliminated, whether in group play or in the knockout stages. And a part of me wonders, why can they have that much emotion out there, both in the stands and on the field? And we rarely see that kind of emotion and or heartache um, throughout the entire season within Major League Baseball. Yeah, when it gets to the playoffs, certainly that can be the case for some teams. But then similarly, you can see a team like, you know, in Washington where, you know, certain individuals will just pack up and say, well, I've got to get to the subway so I can get home in time. What could it take in order for this passion and this, you know, fandom to transpire and basically take over Major League Baseball. You know, I, I, I can't remember the name of the group, but there was a push a few years ago to make a, a kind of a fan section behind home plate. I think they were going to lead songs and cheers. I don't know if you remember the push. We interviewed was, them, yeah, and then they just slowly died out within like a month or so. So, yeah. Well, I was I was really excited about that. But the truth is, I think it's, it's, it's hard to make a certain type of American fan buy into that singing throughout a game, which baffles me. Like, I, I loved I was in London for six months uh, last year studying abroad and I loved going to games, learning the song, singing with the fans. People would hear my very American accent and then give me a beer because they were happy that I was there supporting their team. I'm even more baffled with something like the World Baseball Classic that guys don't want to play. I understand it's it's in an inopportune time for their warm up during spring training, except that soccer players play their game literally 11 months a year and they're going out once, sometimes twice a week and running a 10K like it, it baffles me so, that players wouldn't want to go out and represent their country. And, and that only is happening with like American sports. I, I don't think the I don't think the hockey teams are having that problem overseas. At least the NHL decided to step and make that a problem. But I'm I'm always shocked you know, when, when AJ was out there playing center field for the United States. You could tell how much it meant to him. But it baffles me. You can't get some of these starting pitchers to go throw some innings for Team America. So, JT, as an international man of culture, as you are, let me ask you this question. When you've been at uh, international soccer games um, and you've been out there, you know, chanting and cheering with the various fans, having a beer with them. You know, the one thing that, you know, people in Birdlands have a tendency to talk about is. They talk about the good old days at Memorial Stadium, and they talked about how, you know, Oriole Park be kind of became this, you know, businessman's park and kind of became more, um, you know, yuppie-centric. I, I raise you this question of, you know, when you're out there in the stands at these, you know, international games, you know, the one thing that I notice at Canyon Yards, and I am as guilty as anyone, you know, no offense, but uh, it's one of those situations where you look around and everyone has their cell phones out and they're talking and or texting on them, you know, is it a situation as simple as when you go to the game, you need to put your phone away and just have that cold be in your hand and be chanting for your team? I mean, is it as simple as if you're going to come to a baseball game and you're going to be part of a cheering section, maybe it would be just like a situation right now where a lot of concerts are going on where you basically have to deposit your phone before entering into the given section that you're going to be in if you're going to be in the cheering section. You know, 
I don't even necessarily know if that's the problem. I, I just think that the the drive to excite the fans to do anything, you know, if you want to talk about like singing, for example, or cheering, for example, in unison, the thing is that in America it requires um, prodding. You know, Notre, I, I went to Notre Dame for law school, and there was a big controversy over putting in a new giant scoreboard. And my point was I think we need to because the Notre Dame fans uh, weren't often cheering on their own. Student section's fine. But the rest of the fans needed, I think, a more prodding to chant. You know, it's it's rare, I think, maybe it's just me, that we get a let's go O's chant going unless, one, the music goes over, the, the, the let's go O's music goes over the speaker system, or it's a really important part of the game. You know, maybe it's in the ninth inning, maybe you've got like a rally going, something. And the fans can be a little bit savvy in that regard, but otherwise – you need music going or something on the screen to get people to do a chant. Whereas a lot of these soccer teams, these chants are organic. They're singing the whole game for 90 minutes. People don't sit down except for at halftime. I don't know what it would take to make that change. I think there's a characteristic of the, I wouldn't even say the American fan because the American soccer fan has bought into the soccer culture of singing and chanting during the whole game, at least a certain section, like a singing section of the stadium. Um, I don't know why it is that American fans need to be told to do a, a, a chant sometimes. Um, and it seems it seems to me rare that they'll stand up and do it in unison. But I don't know. Maybe it takes a motivated group of people to try to keep fighting for that change. But people would need a lot of convincing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, when generally when you see people go to the baseball game right now, it's more of a situation of, you know, I'm going to a baseball game to specifically be with my friends and be able to have a conversation with them and you know the baseball game is there and i will pay attention to it but it's not the only reason i'm going in there you know i I hate to bring up the nfl but it feels like the nfl is as kind of close as possible to a soccer game where it's the aspect of you know whether it's first down or second down third down there's those cues um for individuals to kind of you know specifically cheer at certain spots but it's not the same way it is for soccer i mean I don't think there's going to be any way ever to really um, embody the atmosphere and or culture that we typically see both at the World Cup, um, but also an international game such as the Premier League. Um, So it's one of those situations where it truly is um, a pleasure to watch these games. And again, uh, for anybody that is not aware, you know, the World Cup will be coming to the U.S. and Mexico and Canada um, in 2026. Um, I would highly recommend anybody uh, to go to as many games as possible because they are truly uh, special affairs from an individual that previously went in 94. And I have already decided to take off that whole month of work in 2026. So if you want to find me at the stadium, tweet me at Guadzilla. I'll see you there. JT will literally be camping stadium to stadium and uh, basically living like a hobo. Um, We will see if he, he survives during this month. Renting an RV, baby. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, go around Birdland, some statistics, and uh, let's find out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly this past week. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm actually going to get started this week, and I'm going to give the privilege to JT to kind of follow us up for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm going to start off this week, and my good for the week is going to go to Mark Trumbo. Mark Trumbo had an amazing week, posting four home runs during this past week, uh, posted a 247 weighted runs created plus, a 350 on base percentage, a 947 slugging percentage. Mark Trumbo was... Absolutely good this week. Mark Trumbo, tip of the cap. It'll probably be the last time we actually ever see you in the good category for the good, the bad, and the ugly. JT, who do you have for your good this week? Well, I couldn't be bothered to look at any of the stats because they all make me so sad. So I'm going to go a bit off the reservation here. My good for the week is the Orioles fan I met in Chicago this week with a very thick Irish accent. It's my tradition to wave at anybody and say, go O's to anyone wearing an Orioles hat. And I did that on an occasion this week and it turned out we were going to the same concert together and i was very confused when he answered with a very thick irish accent that he was a massive orioles fan and he wasn't even just a you know i bought the hat when i was in baltimore kind of guy he was a i've been to an Aberdeen Ironbirds game kind of orioles fan he knew every take about everything on the team 
he he said, I hope Mike Wright never pitches again for this team, like that kind of thing. Um, and I was really blown away by the international support the Orioles tend to still have. And it gave me a bit of hope that there was someone out there who knew enough about the Orioles to have opinions on whether or not Dan Duquette should be leading this team in the future. He was actually a big critic of Brady Anderson. Again, a take I never expected to hear in an Irish accent. So my good for the week was finding someone who loved this team from across the ocean, visiting Chicago for a weekend, and finding out that if he still had hope for the future of this team, by God, I should too. Yeah, there must be some international peace accord out there that uh, prevents uh, the Orioles from bringing sadness to so many countries in the world. We have a ton of fans out there that listen to this podcast, and we thank you for not only listening to this this terrible product that we put out on a weekly basis, but also for supporting this team in Baltimore you guys are true fans. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, all right, let's go to bad. Uh, my bad for the week is going to go to David Hess. Um, David Hess, and uh, he had two games he started this week. Um, not really great. 10.38 ERA. Again, the, the command rate is the one thing that really strikes me. I mean, David Hess was never going to be an individual that was a strikeout artist. He's always going to be in that you know six to seven Ks per nine. But as of this past week, 5.19 walks per nine, and he's not an individual that typically misses the bat. So David Hess gets my bad. I'm not ready to write David Hess off at this point in terms of being the fifth starter. I still want to see more from him, uh, but David Hess had a really bad week in Birdland, so hopefully he turns it around soon. My bad this week is the put a burn on it map because it is bare. If we look at this season, uh, these are stats compiled by FXGN on Reddit. Our longest win streak this season is four games. We have three regular season wins, April 5th to 8th against the Yankees, winning three of four, May 8th to 10th against the Royals, winning two of three, and May 11th and 12th against the Rays, winning two out of three, um, one of which I think was a double header. Then we have the two interleague series wins. We have not swept a team since August 30th, 2017 against the Mariners, so our dust broom is covered with dust. Um, the mantra of the Orioles podcast network for a long time and all of us on Twitter as well was just win series. That was our understanding. The Orioles weren't a win streak team. That's fine. As long as you're winning two out of three, you're putting more wins in the win column than losses in the loss column. We're making our space forward. Um, what it's going to take to one day turn this franchise back to the winning ways we had. And uh, that might be a weird thing to say about the Orioles, considering what we were for a extended period of my adolescence. But to get back to our winning ways, we're going to start putting birds on things again. Uh, let's go to ugly really quickly. Uh, I'll start off mine. Mine is going to go to Jonathan Scope, who has had an absolutely horrible uh, season so far. But this past week, he posted a 148 average, 148 on base percentage, a 170 WOBA, and a negative two weighted runs created plus. Um, no walks, which is you know pretty typical for Jonathan Scope, um, but Jonathan Scope has been absolutely horrible this so far this season. Uh, on the season so far, he has posted a 60 weighted runs created plus, and we talked about this earlier on the show, or actually earlier on another on another show, you know. We talked about it in 2014 when the Orioles were riding high in 2014 about was Jonathan Scope the answer going forward because he was posting a meager 64 weighted runs created plus. And we said maybe he's still trying to figure things out. Um, he'll get it together eventually. This is his first long season. Jonathan Scope is um, playing absolutely abysmal. You have to hope that he eventually turns it around during the second half of the season because if he doesn't, uh, he certainly does not have a future here in Baltimore going forward. Um, so that's my ugly for the week is Jonathan Scope. My ugly for the week is the state of the Orioles. I think we need to take appreciation for how statistically bad this team has been compared to the rest of the rest of the Orioles history. A negative 113 run difference is on pace for a negative 40 run difference, which would be the eighth worst in franchise history, worse since the 1951 St. Louis Browns. A 303 win percentage would be fourth worst in franchise history, uh, worse since the 1939 St. Louis Browns. Uh, Chris Davis has been next level bad. His .151 batting average is 18 points lower than any other qualified hitter. 165 out of 165. It's perhaps even more concerning and surprising news, given that he's always been a home run or, or bust kind of guy. He has a .242 slugging percentage, 38 points lower than any qualified hitter. There have been a lot of bad slugging seasons, but his .242 slugging percentage would rank 59 worst ever which is pretty bad if you consider that those 58 guys below him never had a 50-run home season, 50-home run season. And 
we got to talk about the things we have to talk about these days, people, especially considering our topic of excitement last week. Um, Andrew Stetka was fantastic filling in. But I have to tell you, when I heard the sentence, they're going to have to do something about Colby Rasmus. I threw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, we're going to want to expect better. If we're going to revel in how ugly this team is, let's be statistically ugly. Well, that was a rant worthy of any bird's eye view. Um, why don't we go ahead and blow the save? And um, JT, why don't you go ahead and uh, take this blowing the save because you did such an eloquent job there with uh, calling out what is so ugly right now in Birdland. Let me play some music for you. Look, Birdland, I know I've been less than chipper during this episode. I know that Bird's Eye View is generally our way of finding a light in the darkness, um, a bit of entertainment in an otherwise dark Oriole season. But I'm here to speak the truth. And the truth is I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. We should expect better. We deserve better as Orioles fans. I've admired... John Angelos's candid takes on several occasions. I thoroughly appreciated his comments on racism last year at Fenway Park and his comments after the death of Freddie Gray. And I think it's important for ownership to stand up for issues their players believe in and for those with the means and the platform to use it. And to that end, I wish that either John or Lou Angelos would apply that candid approach to talking to us about the Orioles. If one of them came out and said, we know the product on the field is not where we want it to be. We appreciate what the players are doing for the ball club, but we also appreciate the fans expect and deserve more. So we're going to work to build a competitive team, and that will require losing some fan favorites. But we're committing to tomorrow now, instead of pretending it'll be better today. Hashtag trust the process, yours truly, the Angeloses. Just don't lie to us. Now, we know that uh, Angelos the senior is now 89. Supposedly, Lou has been going to the ownership meetings. And on the other hand, there are some fleeting rumors that the Angelos family may sell the team. The worst part about all of this is that the instability breeds instability. If the owners aren't committed to the team or if the owners don't have a plan, why would the GM be committed to the team? Why would the GM have a plan? If the GM and the ownership don't have a cohesive plan, what's the manager supposed to do with this? Does Buck Showalter have any interest in managing these kids? Does he have a stake in the future of this program? If not, should we be considering a manager who will be focused on player development and less so on winning? Am I asking a lot of rhetorical questions? Yes. But it's only because we don't have the answers. I don't know what it's going to take to fix this team. I, I know it's going to take a commitment to fixing this team. I don't know if we're going to get an Astros-style rebuild where we know exactly where we're going, but I do know this. We need a plan, and we need someone to be brave enough to step forward and tell us the first step is admitting that we have a problem. And that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Please remember to rate and review the show. Uh, I'm sure the Bird's Eye View boys appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen to them for the first time. Hit that five-star review, and if you're thinking about something but you don't really have an idea for something to write in the comments, how about the Bird's Eye View are our light in the darkness? That would be nice. Or just say JT Guatsu really replaced Scott and Jake on a weekly basis. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other die-hard fans. Email us at contact at Bird's Eye View Baltimore. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter, where you can tweet us at Bird's Eye View B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and Beyond, I bid you a fond adieu-adieu. JT, thank you so much for coming on the show this week and taking place of Jake. You have been um, an exceptional co-host, and I appreciate it. Hopefully, I can get back to Jake next week and uh, put out another podcast uh, with us together. Uh, anything that you want to kind of promote and or uh, give thanks to uh, to kind of close out the show? Well, I have nothing of value to promote, but I would like to thank my uh, dear friend Sarah Langs, ESPN senior researcher, for teaching me how to effectively use baseball reference in preparation for this show. Uh, she's an incredible researcher, and she shows up twice a week on Baseball the Night's uh, podcast with Buster Olney. 
Give her a follow on Twitter at Slangs on Sports. Um, she's a great Twitter follow. And I'd also like to say thank you to, to, for you to having me and everyone for Birdland who stuck through my appearance on this show. Bird's Eye View was the first podcast I ever listened to, and uh, it means a lot to me to be the voice of, I don't know if you'd say voice of reason or voice of anger, but be a voice for Orioles fans out there in Birdland. All right, well, with that, JT, why don't you bring us on home and give us our final goodbyes? I've been practicing for this all week. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.